Thank you for downloading and listening to sermons from First Baptist Narrows. We pray that this podcast would help you love Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God bless. Easter, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually the gospel. And all four of the gospel writers included it and placed a great deal of emphasis upon the narrative so that we would get it. And I don't know what most preachers are preaching this Easter, probably a message from that narrative, but I want to just go back and pick up a little of the story and point out some of the players in the narrative and tell you that they all had something in common and that we can all have something in common because any message from the Word of God is only good for you if it becomes personal to you. Do you understand that? Preacher can preach all he wants to and you can sit there and amen all you want to and agree with everything that's said and give mental assent to the set of facts that he presents and, and it's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That happens in churches all the time. But unless it becomes personal to you, it has little impact on your life. It's kind of like watching a show on television that's entertaining and, and maybe informative and you sit there for the hour or however long it is, 30 minutes, an hour, or a two-hour movie or whatever else, but it doesn't really make much of an impact on your life. You walk away from it, you turn the TV off, and it's over. A lot of times that happens in church. And people go week after week after week with nothing really changing their lives. They go back to the same kind of life on Monday morning that they had on Friday afternoon. And, and somehow it doesn't impact them. But as we look at the players and the narrative of Christ and the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they're, they're named. A lot of them aren't named, but a lot of them are named. It began when Jesus begins to identify some of the disciples in the garden. Peter, for instance. Uh, the servant's ear that was cut off was named Malchus. We know about him. We know about Judas and the betrayal of Jesus Christ. He was a player in that role. We know about Caiaphas. He was the high priest that year. They, they rotated and took turns being the high priest, and he was the high priest that year. Uh, we know about Peter following afar off and warming himself with the devil's fire. We know about the Roman centurion, a commander of a hundred men that helped crucify Jesus, that finally confessed Jesus is Lord. Truly, this was the Son of God. We know about Joseph and Nicodemus that took the body down and buried it in Joseph's tomb. We know about the women, Mary and that other Mary, uh, the women that followed Jesus coming to the tomb on we know about Peter and John racing to the tomb when the women told them. It seemed like they were telling them idle tales that he was alive and they believed them not, Bible said, for unbelief. But they raced to the tomb and John, who didn't like Peter much and Peter didn't like John much. They, they sort of butted heads all through this ministry. John says that disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter and got there first. That's what he says in his gospel. But he didn't go in. Peter was the nervy one, and so Peter stooped down and looked into the tomb first. We know these are, are players in this narrative. We, we also know that when Jesus was risen from the dead, 
Uh, during that interval between the time that he said, go to my disciples and tell them I'll see them in Galilee, go to Galilee and they'll see me there, there was two guys walking to a little town called Emmaus, uh, a little ways from Jerusalem. And they were walking along and just talking about everything that happened in, in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, a third figure appeared with them, just kind of joined them. That wasn't unusual when you're walking along. Somebody see you walking, hey, I'll just walk with you for a while. So Jesus joined himself to them and walked along. And they're talking and he's listening. And finally he said, they're not identified by name, not in this narrative, but he says, why, what are you talking about? And they're so sad. And they said, man, you must be a stranger in these parts. Haven't you heard about crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth and don't you know about the events of the last few days? And, and so Jesus, the Bible says, began in the early part of the Old Testament, all the scriptures came himself and began to talk to them about it and opened them. Man, for a long time, it takes a long time to walk seven miles. I don't know if you can do it real quick, but it takes some of us a while to walk seven miles. I'm probably one of them. Man, I've got my treadmill up to a mile an hour. I'm doing good. And they're walking, and Jesus is talking about himself, explaining. And he said, ought Christ not to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? Was this not supposed to happen according to the prophecy? And when he got to the village of Emmaus, he made as though he was going farther, and they said, no, no, wait. We've enjoyed talking to you. Come in and eat with us. And he went in to eat with them. He sat down at the table. Now, he had a robe on. This is exciting stuff. He had a robe on, and the Bible says, in the breaking of bread. What do you do when you reach across the table to get bread? Guess what they saw? They saw the print of the nails in his hands. And the Bible said they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they jumped up and took off back to Jerusalem. Now, they didn't take as long to get back to Jerusalem as they did to get to Emmaus. They hurried. Why? Because they had good news. Now, we know about the ascension out on Mount Scopus. We know that a crowd was gathered out there. And we know what Jesus said to the disciples. Go ye into all the world, make disciples, teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. We know about the Great Commission. But I want to take a few minutes this morning and make it personal to you. I want to make this resurrection so personal to you. Will you let me do that this morning? Will you take your Bibles and turn with me and let me read some passages of Scripture that are so pertinent to this being personal to you? The first one we find in Isaiah. The 53rd chapter. And I'm going to read... 
like I said, quite a few verses, 12 of them to be exact. I want you to read along with me. This is the beginning of how it's personal to you. Verse 1, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor commonness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone in his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But he was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. From the transgression of my people he was stricken, made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, and thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read a passage from there. It reads like this, beginning in verse 1 through verse 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached with you, which you have received, wherewith you stand, by which also you are saved. I keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you the first that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And we have seen of Peter, Cephas, and of the twelve. And after that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remaineth unto the present, but some have died, fallen asleep. And after that He was seen of James, then of the apostles, all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. I'm not here this morning to convince you that Jesus is alive. You've got all the facts. Historical, scriptural. You either believe it or you don't. 
But what I am here today is to tell you that his being alive makes a dramatic difference in your life. I want you to experience Easter. I want you to experience the resurrection. That's my desire for you this morning. So I want to point out three things that because Jesus came back from the grave, you can personally have today. The first of all is the power of his resurrection. Do you realize the power of his resurrection? I was not born until 1946. I was not born when the Enola Gay dropped the first atomic bomb on the city of Hiroshima, Nagasaki, in Japan. After that event, they said that that would be the most world earth-shattering event in the history of mankind. And historically, it was a dramatic event that ended a terrible World War II when the Japanese finally decided they couldn't fight this kind of a weapon and they surrendered even though they had declared war on the United States at Pearl Harbor a few years before. And while it is an earth-shattering event, it didn't affect me much. I wasn't born when it happened. I only heard about it. I don't know anybody that died in that terrible bombing. My dad served in the war, but he was not in that part of the world at the time. I wasn't even alive when some of the other great events that they said would change the course of history occurred Powerful events, the flying of airplanes into the World Trade Centers. I was in Georgia in a revival when that happened. Dr. Cooper and I heard about it that morning. And we went home and watched the television and watched the news stories of the bombing of the World Trade Centers by the enemies of the United States. And over and over, newscasters kept saying, this will change the world. And while it affected a lot of people, 2,900, almost 3,000 people died in that. A lot of families involved in that. I had no family member up there. And our revival at Macedonia Baptist Church continued that night and for subsequent nights that week. The point I'm trying to make is I want you to see the power of his resurrection because the great powerful events that have affected this world have not personally affected many of us. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful that you go up any of these hollers in Virginia and Kentucky as far as you can drive and get out and walk as far as you can walk and find a little cabin up there of a family that has lived there all their life that know nothing about the rest of the world and knock on their door and tell them Jesus Christ loved them and died for them and rose again the third day and there's power in that to save them from their sins. I want you to know the power of the resurrection. When he died, there was an earthquake, the Bible said. And when he came forth out of the grave, there was another earthquake. It was so powerful that it shook the grave so hard that the Bible said some of the saints that were in their graves got up and walked up and down the street and appeared in the many. And the Bible says in another verse that God by his own power hath raised up Jesus Christ and he'll raise us up by the same power. You can have the power of the resurrection in your life. We don't need to leave powerless lives. 
We don't need to be thrown down and thrown aside by every little thing that comes along in our life and defeats us, whether it's sickness or disease or catastrophe or whatever it is. We have the power of a resurrected Lord inside of us. The Bible said, Christ in you. Are you listening this morning? You can have this power, the power of Jesus Christ alive today, yesterday, the same and forever. Why? Because he makes it available to you. It's sad that so many people live powerless lives when power is available to them. We've experienced power outages. Some of you went without it for a while, didn't you, Barbara? It's not much fun not to be able to take a shower or to fry a biscuit or something in your house. We get so dependent upon it that we don't know hardly how to live without it. But the power of the resurrection never is in an outage. It's never at a place where we don't have it in our lives. All we have to do is call upon me, the Lord said, and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that you know not of. If you're living a powerless life, what are you doing? That's not working for you. Bring your troubles and sorrows to Jesus and feel the power of the Lord that enables you like Peter to walk on water. Am I getting through to you? This resurrection is personal to you. It offers you power to live. Power to help you in your decision-making process. Power in your prayer life. Power in your relationships. Power in the church services. Power in the preaching. Power in the praying. Power in the singing. I was praying for our quartet. And you know what I was praying? I was saying, Lord... One of these days while we're singing, just come down and, and just anoint us in a great, powerful way. I, I heard Teddy Huffman and the Jim sing that song, Gone, way back in the 60s after Eldridge wrote it. And they got about halfway through it, and the Holy Spirit just opened up. And, it, I mean, it flooded the congregation, and people were weeping and crying because they thought about the power of the resurrection. You can have that power. It's available to you today. You don't have to use it. You can go on living your life, making your own decisions. You can go on doing the things like you always do and throw in a little religion here and there, throw in a little church service and do a little, few little religious things, read your Bible, say a prayer, thank God for your meal. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. And you can go on through life. He's not going to force himself on you, but there's power available to you. When his being alive becomes personal. Secondly, I want you to experience his presence. You see, because he's alive, he can be with you. You can sense his presence. Not just his power, but his presence. Go back to that Emmaus story. They didn't know who he was until they saw the print in his hands. And their eyes were open, and they recognized Jesus. But here's what they said about it. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us in the way? We knew something was going on. There was a presence there. We might not have recognized who it was, but there was a presence there. And dear heart, listen to me this morning. You can have the presence of Almighty God in your life. 
You cry out to the Lord as if he's away off somewhere, as if he's seated at the right hand of the Father and there is no presence of God. But the Bible makes it very clear that he said, if I don't go away, I won't send the Comforter, but if I go away, I'll send you the Holy Spirit that he may abide with you forever. I want you to experience the presence of God. My goal every time I come into this church to preach a message to you is not that I'm a great preacher, not that I'm a great orator, that I use correct grammar, not that I'm a communicator and that I deliver the message to you and you get it. That's not my goal. My goal every time I do this, folks, is that you'll know that he's here. That you'll recognize that Jesus is here. A few years ago, Hovey Lister wrote a song called, He is Here. And the words go like this, He is here. He is here. I can feel his presence. He is here. With his presence all around us, he'll calm your every fear. I can feel his presence. He is here. My my quartet went on the stage at Valdosta, Georgia in the ball field down there to an all-night Hovey Lister singing. And we sang Hovey Lister's song, and we must have sung it four or five times because the people were just responsive to the presence of Almighty God. My goal is that you'll know that he's here. The attractiveness of this church is not its creature. You already know that. Say amen. The attractiveness of this church is not its quartet. The attractiveness of this church is not its drama team. We are never going to impact this community. We're never going to impact Narrows and Parisburg and Ridge Creek and the surrounding areas around us just by what we can offer. But let me tell you what the attractiveness of this church is. Let me tell you why I would join this church if I just moved into town. Let me tell you why I would walk the aisle and want to be a member of this church. Because I know the presence of Almighty God is here. That's why I'm not looking for a church that's perfect. I'm not looking for a church where the people are wonderful and everybody's friendly and there's no imperfection in the church and everybody does everything they're supposed to do and I don't know any gossip about any of them. I'm not looking for that kind of a church. I'm looking for a church where I can sense the presence of Almighty God. I'll join this one for that simple reason. And I'll tell you right now, Looking for perfection in the people wouldn't, wouldn't bring me here. <laughs> You're a bunch of sinners saved by grace whether you admit it or not. And looking for a perfect preacher wouldn't bring me here. Sometimes I stumble over the English language. Sometimes I get excited. I to myself, Andrew posts the sermons online. I listen to myself and I say, why did I say that? Why didn't I say this? And then there's been an occasion where I leaned back in my chair in my office and popped one of those sermons in and went sound asleep. <laughs> I said to a lady one time, is your husband asleep? Wake him up. She said, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. <laughs> then I met a fellow in northern Ohio last Friday. He said, I bet nobody sleeps while you preach. preacher wouldn't bring me to this church. But you can experience the presence of Almighty God. Then Easter will become personal to you. His being alive will impact your life. You'll be aware of it outside of the church. You'll be aware of it in your home. 
You'll be aware of it as you drive down the road. You'll be aware of the presence of Almighty God. You'll know that He's alive. You'll know that He's there. You will feel Him. The Bible makes it very plain that we can feel the presence of God. We can't trust our feelings, but we can trust the presence of Almighty God. And then finally, the third thing I want you to experience is I want you to experience the plan of Easter. He didn't do all that without a plan. He came into this world to save sinners. Paul said, of which I'm chief. The plan of Calvary was not just an event. It wasn't just a colossal happening. It wasn't just a life-changing experience. It wasn't just something that would impact all of the ages. The reason the gospel is good news is because it's good news to every generation and every people, rich, poor, free people, captive people. It's good news to everybody. It's good news if you're in a jail in Philippi. It's good news if you're in a palace. By the way, the, Rome, the Pope in Rome celebrated Easter this year by saying there is no hell. Did you hear that? Pope Francis said there is no hell. God help us. Nearly half of the world are Catholics, and this is their leader saying there is no hell. My Bible disagrees with the Pope. I don't disagree with him. The Bible disagrees with him. I think he's flat wrong. <laughs> You say, well, maybe he's right. Maybe there is no hell. No. Jesus talked about it more than he did heaven, so I suspect it's real. But I'm telling you, God had a plan. Calvary was planned out. At 12 years old, what did Jesus say to his mother? Wished you not, don't you know that I must be about my father's business. What was the Father's business? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I want you to experience I want it to be personal to you so that you're part of the plan of Calvary. When He was on the cross, you were on His mind. He thought about your soul and he considered it worthy of his death. He thought about your eternity. Where are you going to spend eternity? He already thought about that. And he said, where I am, there you may be also. I've got a plan. I want you to join me at my house. I want you to join me forever and ever where I am. I don't want you to perish. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. That's the plan of the resurrection. Then with a little bit of faith, you can reach out to Jesus and say, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and be my Lord. And that instant, they open a book in heaven Imagine this with me. Use your imagination. There's a big old desk in heaven and a big old book up there and there's an angel and his job is to write in that book. And on Easter Sunday morning, April 1st, 2018, the Holy Spirit drove you and 
and convinced you that you needed Jesus in your life. And you said, Preacher, I believe today's the day that I'll come forward and announce that I want Jesus to be Lord of my life and ask him to forgive me of my sins. And that angel opens that big old book. And the minute you say, Jesus is Lord of my life, for with a heart confession, with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made, as soon as you say, I've asked Jesus into my heart to be Lord of my life, he picks up that big old pen and he looks over and there's another place for another name and he starts writing your name. And that book, is called the Lamb's Book of Life and it'll be opened in Revelation and they'll look and there will be your name and Jesus will say, enter into the joys of the Lord. Got it? That will only happen when Easter is personal to you. You have a choice. You can come to church as much as you want. You can go out the door just as lost as when you came in and that angel just kind of closes the book and waits for another service. Or maybe he leaves the book open all the time because services are going on around the world. But your name's not there. And when the books are open, whosoever's name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, it says in Revelation, was cast into everlasting darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a hell prepared for the devil and his angels. You say, but preacher, I've not done enough bad stuff to go to hell. Do you know why people go to hell? Because their names is not in that book. It's not because of what you've done. I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I'm on my way. I don't deserve to be a preacher, but I've been doing it all my life. Luke Kuhn asked me yesterday, Friday, how long have you been preaching, preacher? I said, preach my first sermon at 13, and I'm almost 100. <laughs> well, I'm closer than I am to 13. He said, I admire you. I, I respect you for what you do. And I started to say to him, I don't do a thing. Jesus did it all. I want you to know the power of the resurrection. I want you to know the presence of the Lord. And I want you to be a part of his plan. But I have to tell you this, Armistice, this morning. It's up to you. It's up to you. See, in the, in the whole Bible, here's what he says. All I'm doing is setting before you the way of life and the way of death. I just said it before you. I try to explain it to you. I try to explain the result of your choices. Because if you choose life, you'll have it more abundantly. And your name will be in the book. And you'll enter into the joys of the Lord. And you'll be there forever and ever. And we'll all be there together. Man, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be pretty good. But if you don't choose that, then you know where you're going. So God just simply says, here it is. Here's the two roads. I set them before you. Choose. And it is up to you. It's up to you, even as a child of God, a confessed Christian, it's up to you whether you employ the power of God in your life or you live weak, sickly, anemic lives. And everything that happens just destroys you. You're moving from one You're unhappy about this. You get that fixed and something else goes wrong. Kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a flat tire. You get it pumped back up and you take off down the road and another hole comes in the tire. And you just you go bumping along through life. 
not smooth at all. And then sometimes there's, there's a, a will and a smoothness with a power. Sandy DeLauder, you blessed my heart this morning by bringing your walker and being in the play. I thought, man, that lady was going to be in that play if it killed her. She had surgery on her knee. She's pushed. I'm thinking, here comes a lady from Palestine and Jerusalem and Jesus is crucified and she's already developed a walker 3,000 years ago and I'm excited about it. You say, preacher, that's funny. No, that's not funny. That's what happens to a child of God that says, I'm going to be a part of the plan. Then we had another one in a cast. Are you part of his plan? You're trying to get him to be part of yours? Surely not. You're, you're surely not trying to convince God that you've got a better idea than he does and all he needs to do is bless what you've got going on. Surely you wouldn't do that. But you can be a part of his plan. Would you bow your heads with me and let me pray with you? In a few minutes, the music's going to start and we're going to give an invitation. Why? Because it's in the Bible. We didn't come up with it. We didn't think of it. But we thought we ought to include it. Because Paul said, I delivered unto you that which I also received, the gospel. And I believe any time the gospel is preached, people ought to have a chance to respond. I believe any time the power of God is preached, Christians ought to have a chance to respond to him that they might have more power in their life. I think any time you're talking about the presence of God and somebody is in the congregation that doesn't really feel his presence... I believe you ought to give them a chance to move a little closer to the Lord that they might feel in prayer. Again, thank you for downloading and listening to sermons from First Baptist Narrows. If you have any questions or comments, our contact information are in the notes below. God bless.